Hi, this is Eric Zandona, Spirits author and director of Spirits Information for the American Distilling Institute, and you're listening to the Beer Mighty Things podcast. Welcome into the Beer Mighty Things podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. It's what's in your ears as you drink beers. Today, we bring in a guest who every time I dig in to learn more about, I find to be more interesting and I become more interested. Uh, He is the co-founder of a 13-year-old design firm in Indianapolis, Indiana. Please welcome in Isaac Arthur of Kodo Design. Isaac, how are you doing, man? Good, Kyle. Thanks for having me on today. I'm very happy to have you on. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, We did it. We got it scheduled and uh, here we are. (laughs) Yeah, no one got sick. It's yeah. on time. Yeah, yeah, all good. It's crazy. Cool. Uh, so I'm intrigued, and therefore I'm going to do things a little backwards today. We're going to start with rapid fire questions instead of ending with them. How do How do you feel nice. about that? I feel good. Uh, I'm not warmed up yet, but this will this will put fire under me. So let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, it's the rapid fire. Um, <laughs> give us something real quick that nobody would know about you by you know say looking at you or or you know whatever. Uh, half of my backyard is a garden and it would be all garden if I didn't have dogs. So for sure, you'd probably have more grass too. Yeah. Uh, a lot more. Yeah. My, now that, you know, my dog had passed a few years ago and now my grass, my lawn is starting to fill in a little better. Um, what are you looking forward to in 2023 in life and in the craft beverage industry? Mm, I'm looking forward to more non-alc stuff and beer and beyond. I think that's something that's already trending, but we're seeing tons of it in our space. So I think it's going to be interesting watching that space. And then in life, I don't know. Springtime's always fun. Taking my girls fishing, gardening, all nice. that stuff. Yeah. My girls both have uh, fishing rods and golf clubs and uh, pretty awesome. Your kids no are golf too. Yeah, no golf clubs yet or ever probably. <laughs> but but fishing, yeah, lots of fishing. Golf is a stupid game. I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I think that's kind of the part of... It's a very humbling sport. And yeah. then it hurts my back. So I still do it anyway. Gets you out of the house. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. You know, you get that nature, that nature vibe. <laughs> uh, what companies or people inspire you or Kodo? Hmm. Uh, athletic Brewing is doing insane things right now. Uh, Liquid Death. I mean, these are these are answers that yeah. you probably hear multiple times. It, just from a marketing standpoint, it's amazing. Um I don't know. I mean, uh, Sorenex, when I think about like strength and fitness equipment, I, I think what they've built is amazing. Okay. I need to, you should have given me these rapid fire questions ahead of time. So I give you real, real answers. Oh, yeah, that's why the rapid I'll, fire, man. I'll stop there. <laughs> a lot of our, a lot of our clients are inspiring. And I know that that sounds like a bullshit answer, but it really is amazing watching what people build out of nothing. So, yes. yeah. No, well, you know, working with those folks, you know, help you get out of bed every day, right? They excite you. Yeah. Um, you know, I could tell you that. I really don't feel like uploading these podcasts sometimes, but I'm like, you know, I, my favorite part about it is meeting with people and, and meeting new people. And, you know, when I'm done having this conversation, I'm like, man, that was fucking awesome. That was great. I'm so happy we did that. So I hear you. Um, talk real quick about that, that fitness equipment. What was it called? Sorenex, S-O-R-I-N-E-X. It just really fun family story of a, a guy building, uh, building a weightlifting empire out of his garage in the eighties, like welding stuff together. And it's become one of the preeminent it's, I don't know. I've got, I've got one of their racks and it's just, it's something I've enjoyed and followed for years and it's cool. I don't know why I'm not familiar with that name if they've been around so long. Okay. It's they're They're more like D one. It's like super Gucci stuff. It's, it's (laughs) kind of like (laughs) even uh, goofy to talk about, but it's like D one college Mm -hmm. UFC NFL type stuff. Uh, Those are the ones that kind of get outfitted with it. Interesting. Okay, cool. All right. And one last uh, rapid fire. Would you rather experience the world beginning or the world ending? Oh, feel like it's kind of been ending for the last five or six years. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the, the, the sky got, has been falling. I think with kids, you have to say beginning. I, I don't, I, uh, yeah, I think that's the only responsible answer, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we, awesome. we can't start, we can't start off on a nihilist uh, <laughs> point of view. Yeah. I love it. Cool. All right, man. So talk to me about Kodo. How did Kodo, to, you know, get started and uh, you know, who's involved? Sure. Uh, I'll give you, so cut me off at any point. I'll give you all the propaganda. So Cody and I met, uh, so Cody, Cody is my partner, uh, not doesn't inform the name, but he and I met in college in 2006. 
we bonded over really bad internship experiences that he and I each had. So we saw the creative industry creating a barrier between clients and designers. There's this slick dressed uh, account managers kind of acting as a go between between those two mm. uh, groups. And it led to kind of bad, you know, just bad design, blown budgets, blown deadlines and just like really unhappy folks on all sides. So we were too young to know any better. So we yeah. uh, we graduated in 2000, like May 10, 2009, founded Kodo the following Monday. So right out of school and uh yeah, I mean, I, I guess from there, we found it based on the belief that we can create better work by directly including our clients in the creative process. That's uh, I'll kind of just leave the propaganda there. So graduate, found in 2009, land our first brewery client in 2010. We've sent, I'll kind of fast forward here, gone on to work with more than 70 breweries around the world, predominantly here in the States, but all over the world as well. And we have, I don't know, I, I think maybe just to give you an idea of how we've grown up with the beer industry. Might be a good framing. So in those early days, 2010s, when the beer boom really started in earnest, I mean, from there to like 17, we worked with something like 35 breweries and planning. So just everyone coming to market. I mean, there that, that was a, the period, especially 16, 17, maybe 18, two or three breweries opening a day in the States, just insane growth. And so we were helping folks with upstream brand strategy, positioning, messaging, helping them define their values en route to developing identity, packaging, websites, merch, stuff like that. So that was the early days. We wrote a book to kind of cap off that period. That wasn't intentional. It just happened. Craft Beer Branding Guide, I think, was our first book. Overnight in 17 into 18, the bulk of our inquiry shifted away from breweries and planning. We still do brewery and planning work to this day. We're actively working with three or four at any time. But it was just almost overnight, we saw a shift. It was almost like three to one of established breweries looking to rebrand. So it was just folks that have been open for you know, two years, folks that have been open 10 years. Now we're rebranding breweries that have been open 15, 20, 30, you know, whatever, uh, in rebranded 20 or so 25, maybe breweries since that point. And that's, that's been a fun, interesting, um, set of problems and projects to kind of learn on because it's different context at much different, much, much different engagement. And then layering on top of that. So rebranding still kind of the bulk of our work today, but kind of in 2019, as you can imagine, Beyond Beer started to become a thing. And it, it was it was obviously seltzer up front, but we started fielding a lot of work, a lot of projects for um, centering around helping breweries extend their brands beyond beer, even though we weren't really using that language at that point. It was just, hey, I'm a brewery. I want to launch a hard seltzer because that's a new thing. Yeah, uh, we don't we and, and the questions are always, you know, we don't know if we want to put our brewery's name on this, especially in those early days. If you can I don't know if you have these conversations um, kind of in, in your corner of the industry, but people were like a little not I won't say ashamed, but not super enthused to be putting out a seltzer. It's just a thing that we yeah. need to do. So right. Cody and I and, and I don't want to jump ahead in our conversation about brand architecture in the latest book, but. It just we kind of learned very quickly that we didn't actually understand brand architecture at all in the way that we had. I mean, we'd even written about it in a previous book, our second book, and that that the way we wrote about it was not really <laughs> not that great, not that detailed. So it just been a crash course in learning about that for the last two, uh, two and a half now, maybe even three straight years. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Uh, so, I mean, this day, tons of rebranding work, still work with breweries and planning, but a lot of our work I would say is also centering around brand extensions and helping people or not brand extensions, but helping folks get into uh, beyond beer stuff. So based in Indianapolis, we're six people. We should be seven. We're always should be hiring one more, but we, we <laughs> like, uh, we like working our team to death and paying them well instead. So <laughs> that's where we are. As long as you get paid, you know, they're going to put out the good work. You mentioned yeah. there about the, uh, the seltzers and I think even you know, to pick on the macro, but Bud Light Seltzer, when that came out, I feel like everybody was confused by that. Like, what is this? This is beer seltzer. Like what, you know, instead of calling it something else, they called it Bud Light Seltzer. And I felt like they kind of had a brand identity crisis when they started putting out commercials and such. We, we have a, uh, we have about five slides in our uh, presentation that we just gave at a couple of brewers conferences that talks about the, so what you're, what you're talking about is a concept called brand dilution. And it's, that's a very fancy church stuff dilution. term, but yeah, dilute. And I don't dilution, even know if that's yeah. an official term. Yeah. I mean, th that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why you want to be careful when you extend your brand. And, and this is, we kind of joke in the presentation it would be hard for anyone in the room to mess up their brand this badly because we have um, we have a series of three or four pages where we uh, let me go back in time. Have you read the 22 immutable laws of marketing? I'm sure you have that on your shelf. I have not read that. No, but I, it, I'm aware of it. 
It, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's classic marketing book. Everything in there, almost all of it still holds up today. There's a heuristic called the grocery store test. And that that is, or grocery, yeah, something like that. You tell your friend, your spouse, whomever, your underage child, to go to the grocery store and buy some Bud Light. And so do they, uh, do they buy Bud Light or do they buy Bud Light Lime, Bud Light Chilada, mm-hmm. Bud Light uh, Platinum, Bud Light Seltzer Platinum, Bud Light. And, and, and yeah. I, we have, I mean, it's just... We don't even have to really tell the joke and say it out loud because we just have slide after slide. I, I sent a I, I messaged Cody last night because I was at the grocery store and I saw <laughs> uh, Bud Light uh, Apple Slice. I don't even know what the fuck that is. Like there's just they, they, they can't stop doing it. And and so what is what does Bud Light mean at that point? And I don't want to pick on Bud Light. I mean, you see this is kind of the last gasp of all these major brands wringing out all the equity they can to try to oh, yeah. find incremental growth in a market that is you know going down, not down like in a, in a scary way, but certainly declining. And so yeah, I don't know. It's I think it's like a brand extension of a brand extension into line extensions. And yeah, it's very confusing. The 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 hard soda one is the one that kind of tipped it over the edge where we had to start making fun of it a little bit in presentations yeah. because seltzer. Sure. I mean, I still disagree with that, but that's fine, but <laughs> it's too yeah. many. Well, the soda too, that was like the, not your father's root beer or whatever. Like that was all the rage for a year. And then well, that just completely fell off the map. We're, I, don't understand. I, I think they were, I think they were early. Yeah. That was, I feel, I mean, that was like shit that we were drinking under, not me, but like everyone around me when we were yeah. underage. It was like yeah. that, and Mike's Hard Lemonade and stuff. Right. Blurred out the underage part there. But yeah, they were early. <laughs> and now we're seeing not hard root beer, but we're seeing root beer having kind of a moment. That's something we're, we're kind of tracking a little bit well, behind the, the lemonades scenes. And the RTDs kind of like, like, dude, Mike's Hard Lemonade has been around forever. And now, now it's cool, you know? Maybe. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it, we've, we've seen tons of line extensions and stuff with, with lim- and more like lemonade seltzer, but, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's very bizarre and we'll see where it all goes from here. But. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, and, and you know, so you talked about Kodo a little bit and so Kodo is nothing that the name C O D O is not Cody and the, the name is my, not involved. My, my first name is Donna. No, uh, <laughs> this is the, we need to change our name. We, we, yeah, we, we help breweries name all the time and we have a shitty name. So our name stands for context over dogma. And that is, it doesn't stand for that anymore. We, we went to just give you a little bit of history here. When we were in school, we, we, we went to a visual communication program at Heron school of art and design at the time, the entire program focused around something called design thinking, which is it's a term most people have heard, but we, we see it kind of misidentified and misused a lot. Basically, it's how can you use creativity to, to break down and, and solve problems? That, that's the best definition I can give. Okay. So our heads were full of theory. We were young shitheads. We didn't know any better. And we there's this quote from, I think his name is Chris Bangle. He's an industrial designer at BMW. I think I might, I might be, I haven't told this story for years, so I might be fudging some of this stuff. But he built a car and the exterior was made out of fabric. And his reasoning being that this is just extra weight, extra it, it's not necessary because the structure of the car, what protects it, what keeps the passenger safe is actually the frame and all that stuff. So we, we can just, we can push beyond dogma. Mm. And so his, his idea was think flexible, be flexible context over dogma. Tw- I don't know how old we were 20 or 21 or 22 year olds thought that was the most amazing thing we'd ever heard. So we're Kodo. And now yeah. 13 years later, we're not that anymore. We're just Kodo. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think you need to change your name. I think it's great. It's, it's recognizable. It, rhymes it looks good you know on like say uh in your logo and things like that thank you no need to change so you you just recently hit on here in school of art and design and that's in indianapolis right it is yeah it's uh i use so it's at iupui which that that's changing as well but it's i use uh indiana university's um art school in indianapolis so you're technically a hoosier Oh, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> very nice. All right. Hoosier. <laughs> yeah, Hoosier. Nice. And uh you then taught some classes, be it where they were they virtually, but um you're the brewery marketing and design instructor at the University of Vermont. How did yeah. that was that uh did you kind of create that class? Did they come to you? How does that come about? So I, I don't want to take any credit for the creation of the program. I I, I was in early on with Greg Dunkling, uh who's the I don't know if he's a chair, he's just the head of that program. But uh, I was one of the foundational 
teachers that built the program over the first five years. And again, even saying built the program sounds too dramatic. I was a teacher for five years, uh, teaching folks, a really great program, uh, people coming in. So taught how hundreds of people. That, how long did that program exist before you came in? Uh, it, it didn't. So, it I, did, right? I, uh, so yeah, okay. I, was, I was kind of a plank holder, uh, one of the first like three or four kind of, I don't know, cadre cohort, I don't know, teachers that, that were involved in building the lesson plans and stuff like Cadre's that. And then like cadre. Yeah. Cadre <laughs> makes it sound way more, <laughs> makes it sound more official than me just drinking beer in front of a yeah. microphone and uh, sure. telling people about beer branding. But yeah, that it was really neat seeing. Uh, so I, I don't even remember when that, I think it was like 14 or 15 or 16. It sounds like you, you looked on LinkedIn. I, I need to go freshen that up. But uh, yeah, it, so probably taught about a hundred folks over my time about um, how to brand breweries. And, and most of it was folks that were opening a brewery or people that were getting into marketing. So really interesting kind of swath of folks yeah. and perspectives and questions that we got to field over that time. That's great. So you're doing virtual before virtual was a thing. Oh, yeah. Not <laughs> well, but I did do it. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Uh, you recently just went to the beer design conference in Chicago. What was what was the turnout there? Um, what were some of the topics you guys covered? That was super fun. It was uh, it was so that's put on by uh, Stout out of Chicago, and it was only for designers in the beer space. And so I, I was on a panel talking about CPG trends, um, mm -hmm. and some of the interesting points that we talked about was, was this kind of looming issue of. Uh, alcohol and minors it seemed like blue cloud and that that whole space i mean that, that was an interesting question and something that we're we've kind of being asked about a lot more lately so that was yeah. one talking about lifestyle brands uh things like that but overall it's a awesome conference I, i've been to you know 15 or 20 conferences and it's very rare that i walk away kind of energized mostly i just walk nice. away with a with a cold and <laughs> wanting to go home but uh <laughs> this, one, and, this yeah. one was good yeah hungover okay would that take place at a brewery or that was stout and um, stout that, that was at uh pilot project brewery in chicago okay. great space very cool did you drive there yeah that's indianapolis so it's yeah. yeah faster to drive than fly yeah correct you know those airports are a little chaotic mm -hmm. as ask uh kevin McAllister about getting lost in those you know <laughs> cool so you had collaborated on some articles some magazines back in like 2016 you talked about bootstrapping you know your branding um we talked about doing some uh, branding for a well-funded brewery and then you know on whether or not to like rebrand an established brewery so that was you know six seven years ago and now you have the beer branding trends podcast and you've recently covered those again so mm -hmm. i didn't read the articles and i haven't fully listened to the podcast so i'm assuming there are some things that overlap that are the same, but I'm sure that there's a lot that has changed in those six years. So can you hit on some of those things that have been the same and, and some that have changed? I think the, the big thing in our, our, the lead of that entire conversation is that if you are bootstrapping and it's still common, I mean, we still have breweries and planning reach out and, and, and I, I won't even be dismissive of it. People don't know what to budget. They don't know what to spend. They don't know what and that's all subjective too. Someone might spend fifty thousand dollars and might think that's nothing. Someone might think five thousand is you know like every penny they can they can wrangle. Yeah. Doesn't make branding less important in either case. And so that's why we put out all the content that we do is like to, to in service of the industry and helping people kind of manage that. But the the lead is that if you don't have enough money to engage with you know a quote unquote you know expert firm. I'll say, quote unquote, just calling a question everything we spent 15 years now <laughs> built, <laughs> dedicating our lives to. But if you don't have time, and not just Coda, I mean, there's plenty of folks that, that specialize in beer. If you don't have money to engage with one of those, we think that you should take all of your time and energy and put it into framing your brand strategy yourself. It's not going to be as perfect as if we helped you with it. But it, this stuff isn't that challenging to figure out. If you work through your positioning, your values, your brand essence, your voice, that sort of stuff on your own, you're already a step ahead of most breweries, honest to God. I mean, it's amazing yeah. how many breweries just don't think about that stuff. Right. Do that yourself. And you can do that with any number of books and junk like that that we put out. But then take every penny you have and hire a freelancer or someone like that to execute, maybe a smaller agency, to execute on your vision. That's That's been our point for the, since the first time we wrote about this back in 15 or 16, whenever that was. So. Okay. Because you want to make sure that your stuff looks good, but if it does, if it does, isn't undergirded with you know story and messaging and and reasoning, 
then then it's just it's going to look pretty and not really help you either way. So paradoxically, it, it, yeah. it, you know, it's something that can look good, but doesn't have any story or substance to it actually isn't going to really move the needle either. So that's been our main point since day one. In terms of what was your other point? What what has changed those, over that time? Yeah. So, you know, those are some of the similarities. And then, you know, what are some of the differences, you know, from six years ago to today? This isn't really a bootstrapping issue, but I just think we're having a conversation right now with a brewery and I'll just say Canada. I won't say where centering around the idea of creating a monolithic portfolio. So, so XYZ brewing pills, XYZ brewing Dunkel versus individual kind of fanciful names and, and brands like that. And so again, the this is to, com- harder to find too. A lot of those names are taken too, you know, that, that's that's a, a major con of doing it. However, it, so it's just the pros and cons. I mean, that that's changing. I mean, dramatically. We we back in fifteen, every brewery had a flagship with four four brands, and then you had seasonals, and then there was maybe a rotating line, and that shifted over time to be rotation nation. Everything kind of looked maximal. You, you get the uh, kind of hype breweries that really yep. really drove how everything looked and was defined and from a consumer standpoint what to look for on shelf for a while and now we're swinging back to where flagships are important again however i don't think that the rules have kind of been blown out the window so this this is completely far afield from what your initial question was but this is this is something that bootstrap or not just a conversation we're having internally and with our clients on almost every project and and the 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 big kind of lead there, or the big takeaway, would be the ability to build sub brands and and your brand, your individual beer brands for long term brand building and platforms for potential sub brands, line extensions, stuff like that down the line. That's something we're talking about almost daily now. Yeah, all I can think of is one Julie Rhodes and two Donald Miller. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, even when you're building your website or building your brand, I mean that. I keep that Donald Miller, um, that book's next to my bed. <laughs> I just love it. It's awesome. Uh, go I need to, have here. you, have you read his latest one? I haven't grabbed that yet. I think business made simple, maybe. Uh, I have marketing made simple back here. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Is that good? I haven't read it yet. I have marketing made simple and then I have built, um, business made simple is also back there. I haven't read those. I did just finish the, uh, the, the main one. Um, story brand building a story building brand. story brand yep and yeah that's, that's been, a great that's been so great um we have a we we have a membership at a co-working space in my town and we have a it's an old bank and there's a old the bank vault room you go in there and it's all it kind of looks like a, it's all white it looks like you should be in a freaking straight jacket <laughs> but i love it but the the cool thing is that the walls are 360 degrees of whiteboard So I literally took the story brand book, sat down and I drew everything that he said, you know, to do, you know, and I I mapped it all out. I took pictures of it and saved it and then had to clean up the the walls. But, um, you know, that's what I'm working on, like rebranding my website and making it flow and understanding how the eye, when you pull up a web page, where the eyes go and how they, you know, zigzag down the screen, um, you know, all that's just really like psychology. How does this how does this branding make you feel about the product? Um, what yeah. is memorable? Um, obviously, I mean, this is what you're working with all day, every day. Yeah, we talk about positioning a bit on our pod, or not positioning, but uh, signaling as well. I think that that that's something that is underexplored in this space, and I, it's because it's really challenging to kind of get your hand. It's really it's like if it's hard to pin down the value of branding, it's harder to pin down the, the idea of what role does your brand play in someone's lives and what, what role yeah. or what story does that allow someone to tell the world about themselves? And I, I think that's kind of the, the, one of the most potent ideas that undergirds all of this stuff is how your brand can really slot into someone's life in, in, a, in a powerful way. And that sounds kind of gross and consumerist, but we, we do it with everything. I mean, we, we yeah. do it with, with authors and with, with different brands and beverages and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Edit this out while my cat interrupts us. <laughs> What's your cat's name? Ernie. Ernie, nice. And he's a he's a good guy, but he always wants to get in the way when I'm recording. So yeah, that's that why funny? I need to set up a a booth at our office. There you go. Nice. Yeah, cats always want to be involved. They know. They know what's up. They know when they're not mm-hmm. getting the love. <laughs> nice. So what? kind of trends are we seeing value propositions that could drive the future here i mean you know thinking about these new kind of better for you things that are familiar things that are easy to get you know to the market say like a hop water 
um, you know, that doesn't have alcohol. I'm assuming some of those hoops to get that to market is a little easier, right? You're not, maybe you're not dealing with the TTB and, and some labeling situations. So what else, you know, what are, what are some of the case studies you've done here with hop water? What, what are you seeing for the future? So on hop water specifically, we, we think that's going to be a big trend and we, we say big kind of, uh, somewhat, somewhat, uh, generically, like we, we haven't really defined that too much because it, the, what does big mean? Could it pop for a summer and then disappear? I mean, it, as fast as, as beverage trends are moving, I, I think the, the thing that Not we're seeing was, root beer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, right. brewed IPAs, I mean, it just sure. go down the line. Sure. Uh, the thing that's exciting about uh, so anecdotally behind the scenes, we just put out a newsletter on this. I think I think that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, we have seen throughout 20 and then 21 tons of non-alc beer uh, inquiries and projects came in our doors since maybe February March of 22. Those have basically fallen off. I mean, we've had maybe one that I can think of. Uh, so just literally someone calling us to ask about branding their non-alc beer. We've, we had one hop water inquiry in 21, and then we've had seven or 10 or two, I don't about a dozen, I'll just say, which I think is slightly inflated. It was probably like nine or 10 this year. So wow. those things have, those things have kind of moved in different directions. Now, that's anecdotal, but that matters because I think the reason that, that we put out the podcast newsletter and the way we do, the reason so many people like it, I think, is that we can generally be six to eight months ahead of time and give people kind of a glimpse of what's on the horizon because generally you have to brand and position those things before it you know, hits the market. So hop water, we're seeing a lot of movement in and there, there's a lot of interesting stuff going for that. Just talking to breweries, I think one of the reasons folks are moving away from NA beer is that First of all, uh, there's a lot of excitement and growth in this space, but it, it's hard to delineate how much of that is coming at the individual small brewery level versus just athletic brewing driving all of it, uh, yep. which is which is good. I mean, I, I, I celebrate all of it, but it, it's just, yeah. it's really hard to make it without really having going all in on kind of a lifestyle play. I think I, I haven't really yeah. thought about that as dramatically or as deeply as I should, but I think that's probably going to be the case. You also have just physical constraints. I mean, a dealkalizer, you know, was that 80, 90 grand? I mean, we, we find right. a lot of breweries that get excited about putting in or releasing an Anak beer and then find out that they it's maybe going to be tougher than they think. And I'm going to I'm going to get out of my lane if I start talking about the, the two or three different ways you can make non-alk. But hop water is veers all around that. And interestingly, I think it has a lot of the same value props and actually a lot going for more going for it than in a beer. I mean, if you're drinking in a beer, you're drinking it as a replacement for beer. I think almost always that'd be the case. But then with that, you're getting cal, you're getting empty calories uh, and stuff like that. And so if you're yep. doing it to be, well, I won't even just say moderation; I'll just say healthy, um, which falls under the same umbrella. You're still drinking, you know, 80 calories or whatever it is. So hop water gives you that same beer adjacent experience uh, without any of the the negative stuff. So empty calories. So. That's a that's the the top line idea. We just tons of really great stuff going forward, and we're personally excited about that. I mean, out of out of everything we're working on, that's something that's really exciting personally because I I like the category too. But yeah. I mean, just and broader beyond beer stuff, it's it's a really fun time to be in the industry right now because it's just it's the, the lid's blown off. You can make anything and everything. It's it's unbelievable how often you just come up. You know, there's just a new product. You're like, holy shit! Like that's new. That's new. Like you know, just when you think the you can't really expand your your product line or we you think that hey we've kind of covered it all it's like oh this new thing pops up yeah uh, talking about athletic brewing i was just reading uh this morning i come across this quote every once in a while from bruce lee right you, you mentioned there that athletic brewing is kind of stay in their lane they went all in and you know from a bruce lee standpoint his quote was i fear not the man who has practiced ten thousand kicks once but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. And I feel like that's, you know, you chase two rabbits, you miss them both. You chase one rabbit, you go after that, you, you, you hone it in, you own that category. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the main tenet of positioning, figure out what you do, figure out what, how you're different from folks and just do that thing. Do it, do, do it until you can't do it anymore. Yeah. Because we have, we have too many, too many choices across the board in every aspect of our life. I mean, even just in our minds, we can only remember so many things. I mean, it, I think the this might have been in the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing to bring that back up, but name 10 shampoo brands. I think anyone right. can, I don't know, I don't know if there's anyone on the planet that isn't a psychopath that can name 10, <laughs> 10 shampoo <laughs> brands. It's, I mean, so, okay, name 10 non-alc brands. I mean, I, I work in this space. I can probably name seven or eight. I mean, it's just 
we we don't have the capacity to remember these things. And so if I need a non-alc beer, oh, athletic or mm-hmm. Guinness OO or Peroni or whatever, it's like you don't have, and you just, you do that. And, and the goal of positioning is to earn and keep one of those coveted slots mm-hmm. in people's minds. You have to be a top three, right? Because yeah. no one's going to remember 10, you know, you're in the space, you're remembering seven, eight. I'm in the space, I know maybe four. Um, there, there's some even like, big brands that put out some of these NA beers and, you know, I tried them and I don't love them. And now I don't remember their names. Right. So. Yeah. No different than craft beer itself. I mean, there's even locally, I, I'm sure where are you based out of? Should have started there. I am outside of Philadelphia. I'm in Philadelphia suburbs. Philly. So you've got, uh, I'm going to guess 30 breweries within a stone's throw. You probably. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And what, what, I feel kind of guilty about this, but I just, I stopped tracking my local breweries 10 years ago. I mean, I, there, there are a dozen that are phenomenal that are in rotation and I just can't, I I can't, you know, keep (laughs) this even before kids. Like I just can't go out and continue trying new stuff and keeping track of it. And yeah, there's just too much. I'm starting to think of, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, the shelf space of our minds, right. And, And coming back to the shelf space at a grocery store, right. There's only so much room. And there's only so much that we can remember. And there's really only so much that we need to remember. Like Albert Einstein didn't know his phone number or whatever, because he kind of didn't have to. Like, who cares? There's this thing that we just don't need to know. And then you have some folks who need to gossip and know everything about everybody. It's like, why? Why are you wasting that? You know, we only have so much mental capacity. Um, We do something like what? I don't know, 10,000 decisions a day or something silly, you know? you got to come back to simplify. Yeah. I wonder, it's interesting thinking about, um, a legal drinking, a a newly legal drinking age person today, let's say a 21, 22 year old. I mean, we, we came up where the the world was just much easier in terms of, I mean, it it was even just craft beer is the anti big beer and and it's, it was really easy. And then this thing was growing and exciting and sexy and fun. And, and uh, a 22 year old today, I mean, they don't even have to, it's, they might not even be drinking beer. I mean, there's just so much stuff. So like whatever your palate is, whatever you're interested in or not, I mean, maybe if you want to be sober, there's just cannabis is another one that's floating out there, legal, not legal, depending on where you are. There's just so many options that were not available when I was 22. It's, it's amazing. It's interesting to see. All right. So let's, let's dig a little bit more into that. So uh, Z economy was an awesome book. We're talking about Gen Z. I know that as I continue to grow in my space, my, you know, my insurance world and all that, I'm going to have to hire them. So I need to know what they like, you know, what, what they're all about, you know, and this is a group of folks who, you know, don't know life without the internet. Uh, they're not familiar with cassette tapes. <laughs> uh, they weren't alive when nine 11 happened. So, yeah, you know, they have, they don't really use cash. Right. They've only no cash apps and things like that. So, yeah. How do we market to them? And what are you know, ultimately what are they drinking? Or you can say, as you mentioned, there was like uh, maybe they like something that tastes strawberry. Now they can have a strawberry beer. They can have a strawberry wine. They can have a straw, strawberry hop water. They can have a strawberry cannabis infused whatever. So the options and, and again, the, the mental bandwidth is is interesting. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm not an expert on this at all. I, we joke that I'm Kodo's Gen Z correspondent, but that is, that, that's, <laughs> that's in large part because I don't have social media and I live like a weirdo in the, in the, the woods. So, uh, I love it. I think, I think there's something really interesting about the optionality. I, I think just above and beyond the, the world that they're entering is exciting. There's so much stuff that they get into. It's really frustrating personally as I'm, I'm trying to write about this and learn more about it. I think uh, Good Beer Hunting's done a great job of kind of demystifying this a little bit. There's this idea, and it's just a, a great meme that Gen Z's not drinking anything. Uh, and we've seen, and it's frustrating because we've seen extremely credible sources on both sides of that idea. Gen Z's drinking nothing. The end is near. Craft beer, beer itself is going to be gone by 2050. But then also you see, uh, Good Beer Hunting, again, has done a great job, Brian Roth, uh, of demystifying this and saying, no, they're actually drinking just as much as uh, millennials before them. They're drinking differently, but they're drinking. So I don't actually know the answer. I, I I really don't know. And I don't know that this is another conversation, but just age-based cohort, like that idea of, of you know, if you want to market to boomers, you got to do X, Y, Z. I don't know how valuable that is anyway, but I don't know. I, I think that, that Gen Z has 
more, more options available to them. I think that they have, they will value life, maybe, maybe something helpful. So I just stop rambling here is like, they'll value lifestyle brands more than folks before them. I think that's going to become kind of the lifestyle yeah. uh, that that play will become more prevalent for new brand for older brands looking to, to kind of reposition to target them as well. So I don't know. Yeah. I feel like they are okay with change and, and okay and open to trying new things, new brands. Um, so I don't know. I, and I, but I also know that they are brand loyal to things that fall within their interests and, you know, what they are, you know, the jobs they want, they want them to align with their, their interests and beliefs. So it's like, they're open to trying new things. So it's like, they're less brand loyal, but at the same time, I feel like they do come back to what they, to specific brands. So they are brand loyal, which ultimately makes it really hard to market to, <laughs> I guess. Well, it- and I think that over time, this is just how everyone evolves. They will become, I mean, you just, at some point in your life, you you kind of get set and you're like, okay, well, I'm good. I'm just going to, I'm kind of there myself already. Like I've already kind of yeah. phoned it in. If you know I'm getting like. beer for the weekend, it's like up Sierra Nevada pale ale done. I don't have to think about this. And I think that over time they will do that as well. So there is still an opportunity to win their business uh, in that relationship for decades to come. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're also just... As a who, what is the oldest Gen Z? Do we even know? Twenty seven, maybe. That's, yeah, I, I think know. something somewhere in there. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so they're just they're kids still. I mean, the they they're just they're babies. <laughs> they don't know what they don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't I don't say that dismissively. They're just yeah, they, yeah, they, they probably don't have kids yet. They they maybe maybe don't have a mortgage. Who knows? Well, so they're they certainly can, getting. You know, they're the age in which people are getting married and having children is is getting you know is going up yeah. as well so they might not get married till 32 you know yeah so it's just everything's up in the air and and it's there's a lot of opportunity to market to them and i don't really have the answer for that yet but uh, i'm sure we'll figure it out here in the coming years yeah just keep paying attention yeah, it's important i like i said that's uh, generation z book gen z or z economy um write that down yeah great book uh, great list i did the audiobook um, but that's one that I'm okay with going back to. And again, they're going to be working with us and for us. Um, they're going to be leading us right there. So, you know, it's good to know, um, who, who we're dealing with. Yeah. Now talk to me a little bit about like branding. You mentioned the cannabis there, cannabis, uh, CBD type drinks. Um, you know, when it comes to branding that coming up with names, I feel like that could potentially be more. A little more finicky. You got to be a little more careful with branding that or marketing that. Um, some places are all for it. Some places, that, you know, some states and whatnot might be um, against it. So I just I feel like it's it's a little less acceptable than than branding of alcohol. Um, yeah, can, cannabis is just plagued with stigma from, I mean, yeah. and it, this is like you know forced on us by the state over the last fifty years. Right. Uh, cannabis is what insane people you know, take and, and you'll break your mind. And, 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 that, and that's obvious. I mean, it's, it's just, if we can take a step back, it's absurd. It's fucking absurd that alcohol is <laughs> like, it's okay to buy whiskey, but not buy right. a joint. I mean, it, even it, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, and, and I think that stigma will, I think, I think by the time I'm gone, I think it will be completely gone because as long as boomers are there and I grew up with that too, you know, I, I had a dare shirt when I was a kid, which yeah. is really, really funny now. Uh, it's just I think that that will eventually go away and that and that that cannot will not go away until every last shred of people that have been had that in kind of in their mind um, go, go away. Uh, that could be a, said for a lot of things, too. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I don't know, I, I think maybe just kind of to, to bring this back, back to our lane, uh, drinking cannabis is interesting. That's something that mm-hmm. like edibles are just now. I'm not just now. I mean, last 10 years, but people don't even know that you can like drink. So it's really interesting looking at, I think it's like maybe teapot, what Boston beer is doing up in Canada. I mean, we're, we're tracking that really closely. I didn't see that. Okay. We're we're seeing uh, trust, maybe uh, the Tilray acquisition the other day. Like there's major, everyone's setting up major, major plays for when it becomes, I don't know, legal nationally. I don't know what the the, the big play is there, but this is going to be, huge within 10 years and a lot of the land grabs are happening right now Hmm. um it's just there's a weird stigma to it there's a huge um education component again people don't know that that, that's what it is right it's an education it's and it's if you want to learn about it cool if you don't you put a wall up 
and yeah, and yeah, with many things. But yeah, like I had the conversation with Keith Via, who's doing you know from Blue Moon and is doing the the Syria brewing, and mm-hmm. that was fascinating. Um, it's fascinating what you know how they were able to extract the oils and such, and then again put it in the in the beers and um, you know it's a process. But again, the more educated, I think with anything, right? If if you're not educated about it, you are standoffish. You're afraid because it, ooh, it's spooky. I don't know what that means. Like I'm afraid to go on that roller coaster. Well, once you start going on roller coasters, you start to enjoy them, right? Once you, yeah. But that's our caveman brain. I'll always come back to I, talking about like we're afraid. Don't touch that. It's hot. Right? I'm afraid. I'm afraid to look like I don't know what I'm talking about. Which, yeah, I mean, that's a big part ego, of it. Ego and embarrassment. Um, yeah, and, and it's uh, there. There's. Uh, I mean, we we haven't done too much cannabis work uh, over. We've done three or we've done about half a dozen projects over the last ten years. But I think even just talking about that in beer is really exciting because the ability to to kind of and I'm going to sound like an idiot if I try to to sound smart here, but like taking the different strains and the different different attributes that those can give you, like the different types of buzzes and figuring out how that can be done in an interesting way. Um, I think the the parallels between I think like I've even struggled with this as we worked with uh, cannabis beverages. It's like, what put it to me in terms of a beer, like is five milligrams going to be a beer. I need to know how much I can have or not have, or two milligrams or 10. Like, what does that look like? Um, and this is, it goes right back to education. It's just a completely interesting thing that people don't, people aren't aware of drinking cannabis. I think in most cases. Interesting. Now we're talking about branding, um, and so to me, that comes to design and positioning and, and message, but you're also helping some folks name their, their breweries, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that great. I mean, usually I would think they're coming to you with a name already. I think most do. I, I haven't done math. We've probably named, we've probably named 50 companies over the years, but probably like wow. 20 breweries, uh, maybe 15 to 20. Yeah. Most folks come to us with a name. Yeah. I just never thought about it. I just assumed they all came to you with a name. Um, it's easier when they do, <laughs> unless, I would think so. um, unless it's a bad name, uh, then, then, then it's not good. Then we, yeah. we have our work cut out for us. Yeah. Well, that's tough. I mean, they know, but I guess, I mean, that's the communication, right? And you're able to extract that from them, you know, figuring out their direction, their branding, their, their fit. Um, but it's hard you know, cause it's their baby, right? It, do you get pushback it, on some of the names or. Yeah. It, it, kind of across the board, we, we fame it. We're working on a, a a case study right now with Bird's Mouth Brewing out of New Jersey. That's the only brewery we've ever named where we had to go into round three of, of naming. Yeah. Uh, they they raked us over the coals. <laughs> it's just normally we we get it in the first round, and we do that because we base it off of brand strategy and messaging. And just to give you an idea, because I think an important thing here, a not sexy thing, but an extremely important thing, is to talk about IP and trademarking and. How unfortunately you'll have a list of ten names that are perfect, but none of them are available because they're 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 in use already. So mm-hmm. and, and now it's blending with beyond beer, with wine, with spirits. It's just it's so challenging. That's actually kind of refreshingly why I like when someone comes to us with, with with a great name. It's like okay, cool. I don't have to you know kill myself over the next six weeks to figure this out. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's yeah. So they come to you with a great name, and you're like boom, springboard, and we can we can go versus. Crap, we're stuck in this little hole. We got to figure this out before we can do anything else. Yeah, and and that's that's just me being a baby. I mean, it, it, that's part of the job. That's part of the process. <laughs> but but then like you know the other perspective, and I should let Cody talk here because he's the one that leads that project. But when we have a chance to name someone, we can also create something amazing too because we start from the very ground floor. Whatever that story, that positioning, all that stuff is, we then define it. I mean, maybe the most important touch point of all, which would be the name. So starting from that that standpoint is also very valuable. It's just it's just such a challenging process these days. And again, we're, we do it. I mean, we're naming a brewery right now. I mean, we're constantly doing it. It's just, uh, it's so, so challenging. And it, because then you also have to find a name that the client is in love with that is that, that meets, you know, seven or eight different criteria and then is also available to be trademarked. So it's tough. Brutal. <laughs> I do not envy that process. Yeah, poor me doing, doing my job. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, sucks. Sucks for you to have to do that. Yeah. Very um, rough. So talk to us a little bit about uh, the new book. Uh, I guess we could, you know, do you have three books then? We do. Yeah. Okay. So Craft Beer Branding Guide uh, yeah. is written in 27, written in 2017, four new breweries. Craft okay. Beer Rebranded is Rebranded, our lost okay. book, but our best, our yeah, best, I'd say, uh, best okay. book ri- written in 2020. 
uh, published at the end of January in 20. So it kind of got lost in the ways of time. But that that is a, uh, a two book bundle for it's a book and a workbook for helping breweries navigate a rebrand. Gotcha. And then our latest book is the Beyond Beer Handbook published. I don't remember a month or two, three or two, three months ago in 22 now. And that's a book about brand architecture fundamentally. And that's kind of like a choose your own adventure. Talk to us a little bit how you guys design that. I mean, the, and your books are beautiful. They're Thank they're you. like coffee table yeah. books. These are these are neat. I think they're they're great when it comes to you know somebody sits down and takes a look at it who doesn't even care about beer or branding, and they look at this and it's sparking a conversation. Yeah, we're that's we we have debated. Thank you, first of all, we debated putting these on print on demand like KDP through Amazon, and yeah. we it just would look like shit, and we we can't do that. You know, we're designers; we had to make them look beautiful, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, so the let me let me tell you about the book itself. So I mentioned 2019, Cody and I started doing a lot of a lot of uh, brand extent, not brand extension, but helping folks extend their brands beyond beer. I mentioned that we we really had no idea what we were doing early on. Uh, we had this very um, kind of black and white view of brand architecture. And if you Google brand architecture for the listener, you'll find you know, branded house or house of brands. That's it. Mm. So under that under that framing. That means you either create a brand extension or you create an entirely new brand. And that that leaves this huge, huge uh nuanced middle there of well, your parent brand is an asset. And how do we how do we protect your parent brand, but also leverage that parent brand to some degree to launch this new thing? So anyway, two-year process where we were building this um it started out as, as a decision tree. I mean, just basically a, a a rubric, you know, it was like 30 questions at one point, which is way too much. That we would we would ask our clients through, you know, are you a specialist or a generalist brewery? Do does this product align with your brand values, new audience, that sort of stuff? It, we we got that down eventually to fourteen questions, and so the the choose your own adventure part comes from. You can do this online at beyondbeerbook.com or in the book. But if you're a brewery looking to launch a new product, let's just call it a kombucha, take the these uh, these questions. It will kick out. So you just fill them out. You add up your score. It does it automatically online, obviously. And then that says like you scored a 62. So 62 is in a range of uh, brand extension. So you, you now it's a choose your own adventure novel. You turn to page whatever, 85, let's just say, and read yeah. about endorsed brands. And, and you right. put that up against your broader brand strategy. So I'm making this sound, I mean, maybe it's making, maybe it sounds complicated and confusing, but we, we spent two years breaking our backs trying to figure this out. And then really about 16 months into that is when we we thought this could be a, a good book. It was this was just a thing that we would use to guide our clients to make sure that we were you know actually doing proper strategy work for them, not just saying, I don't know, I guess make a sub-brand question mark. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Yeah. Interesting. So what what were some of the questions that you guys got rid of? You went from 30 to 14. Oh. Were some um, of those like, yeah, we want to, you know, some of them make the cut and then you're like, all right, we gotta scrap it. Because that's so I think there's that thought of the when when people want to add more, like our right, perfection is is not adding more. It's when you can no longer take anything away. Absolutely. Right? So so yeah. simplifying and it's hard to do that because you got you might have these two or three questions you're like we really need that and then you got to cut it. You got to make that decision. So we we had we covered this on our podcast recently. Uh, a big kind of bucket of questions that we had early on centered around distributors and their perspective in this process. And okay. we ended up, so I, we don't, I don't need it. This is, this is just open up a, another 10 minute thread that'll bore your, your listeners. But uh, we found that most of the time when we're talking to distributors who are very valuable to talk through, through these projects, distributors yeah. almost always kind of default to what's easiest for them and not what's at the best, the, the best long-term plan for this specific brand and for their client themselves. Which generally meant, yeah, this new kombucha or RTD, you should brand it as as coming from your brewery. So like a sub-brand or brand extension, because that's easier for our distributor to merchandise and to carry and to, to put on shelf. And so that's they want, a... They want less work to do. And you know what? Whatever. No no, no yeah. value judgment. Yeah. But we, ju we just found that... So we had that early on. That's that's one that kind of jumps to mind immediately. And we ended up removing it entirely. Just there's no mention of distributors at all uh, in in the final rubric. And I actually have some of the questions here. I mean, if you want me to, um, I pulled these up while, while I was yeah, talking through them. And, so, I mean, have you experimented with releasing a Beyond Beer extension before? Yes or no. And, and uh, so if you did, you know, how did you position it? What we're looking for there is precedent. So just because you did something before doesn't mean that we have to be handcuffed to it. But, you know, if you're Sierra Nevada and you release strange, uh, what is it called? Strange 
brute strange beast kombucha if you did it a certain way and it was successful then there might be call for doing that again with your next product you've trained your customers or, or taught your customers to look for a certain thing so i mean other other questions here are you a specialist or a generalist that's a very important question that very deliberately kicks you down a path if you're a specialist so like prost brewing a client of ours in denver they released Alpenbloom hard seltzer. So uh, an all German brewery, even releasing, you know, a hazy IPA is gonna is gonna detract from and muddy that sure. positioning. So let alone a, a a hard seltzer. So that means we should push that further away from our parent brand, as an example. And I keep going here, but but the, yeah, I mean, over time it, it got down to fourteen. I hate the number fourteen. I wanted it to be a nice like fifteen or ten, but it just it ended up being fourteen. To your point, there was nothing else we could take away. Uh, it, it got down to that weird number. And so it's 14 questions. That's and it, that, that is called the beverage extension assessment tool, which happy accident became BEAT, but BEAT is a yeah. shitty acronym. So <laughs> <laughs> so it's not good anyway. We should have made it something like brew, but you know, we're not smart like that. It's all good. Sometimes, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I don't, I don't think anyone's, you know, I don't think anybody I, cares. Sometimes we I don't, care about things other people don't. No one cares. That's <laughs> yeah. So you can give a speech in front of 30,000 people with a big freaking spaghetti stain on your shirt and nobody would even notice because they're worried about themselves. <laughs> yeah, no one yeah, no one cares. Yeah, I don't even care. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's it's good not to dwell on on certain things. So, Isaac, where can we find your books? Where can we find more about Kodo Design? How do we get in touch? So the best place to go if you're interested in any of this is beerbrandingtrends.com. Join our newsletter. That will get you it plugged into the podcast, into ongoing brand strategy newsletters, into all the books. If you want any of the books we've talked about, I'm going to mess them all up now. <clears throat> Beyondbeerbook.com, Craft Beer Rebranded, craftbeerbrandingguide.com. I think those are all it. But yeah, Beer Branding Trends, is we've got about 6,000 subscribers on that newsletter. So that, that'd be the best place to go. Uh and then podcasts and all that stuff. But if you're a, a marketing director, a brand director, a brewery owner, a designer, salesperson, anyone that, that whose job is to sell more beer, you know, build your brand, I, I would go to beerbrandingtrends.com. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I've been following for a little while now. Um, I didn't realize that you had the podcast until about a week ago. So I've been tuning into those. I mean, they're they're good size. You know, my episodes are about, a, you know, about an hour. Yours are, you know, 20 to 40 minutes. So I like those little bite size. Try to. Yeah. Conversations. Cool. Awesome, dude. Well, you've been a great guest. This is a lot of fun. I would love to have you back on. The more you know, the that develops in the industry. Um, I mean, you're obviously a wealth of knowledge, and uh, we appreciate you. So, dude, thank you so much, man. Cheers. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate it, sir. Very well. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. That'll help us get found by other fantastic people like yourself. I don't monetize this, so all I ask is that if you like it, share it with someone else who might like it. Connect with me on Instagram at Beer Mighty Things Podcast. Catch you all next time. Cheers and Beer Mighty Things.